Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a world <clears throat> of liberalism where you'll be applauded for being open-minded or broad-minded. We're not to believe anything or be dogmatic. You know, if, if you want to be considered in our modern society, especially in academic circles, of being narrow-minded, oh, I believe something. Have some convictions, and you'll be considered narrow-minded and dogmatic. See, we're, we're taught nowadays that we're not to reach any final conclusions, but to keep our minds open, not to believe anything with finality. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just let everything remain in solution or limbo. Well... That's not how the Bible sees it. That's not how the Lord spoke it. And it's not what the Bible teaches. There is, how this message simply, the only gospel. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at this tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges ours to open your precious word tonight. We thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well to take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place. Our world is a place of darkness. We know that Satan is the god of this world, and he's blinded the minds of them that believe not the gospel. That's the light of the glorious gospel which should shine unto them. But Father, I pray that our minds would not be blinded by the wickedness and the deceitfulness and the philosophies of this old wicked world. It would help us to trust the living God and his word that he's given to us. Father, we just thank you again for your love for us. Pray your blessing and help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, really, the, that philosophy that, you know, we're to be open-minded, broad-minded, not to believe anything or be dogmatic, it really boils down to this. We're not to have an authority. For there is no authority. That's the attitude of the day. Except me. Everyone is their own authority. You know, this all this is, this this whole philosophy is preparatory for Marxism. 
communism or socialism or whatever you want to call it. That's what it's preparatory for. I, I was reading a, a news article just here probably two weeks ago about a guy, young man. <clears throat> are you, 21? Okay, yeah, I think he was 21, Brennan's age. He was joined Antifa. Uh, he was a white boy. Anyway, and they asked him what he was protesting. He really didn't know. You know, he had, since his teenage years, middle teens, he'd been in trouble with the law. He had been arrested for drugs, and, uh, you know, I can't remember what all. He'd been in, been in out of jail, had been on probation, and I think he was still on probation at this time. But he now has a cause. He doesn't really know what that cause is. But he has a cause. And I can't remember, I think it might have been Berkeley. I think it was at Berkeley. They were, you know, they had planned a protest there when uh, David Shapiro spoke there. I think that was the time. Anyway, and they had planned on rioting and they had planned for violence. But the police nipped it. And he was upset. So this, this is all, and, and of course, this young man's head's filled with nothing. He don't even know what he's, what he's protesting about. He's open-minded. It's all preparatory for Marxism and socialism. Uh, so, it, but you think about that, without an authority, it will leave you, there's several things that's mentioned here. First of all, it will leave you troubled. Notice verse 7 says, Paul says to the church, the Galatians, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. The word troubled means to render anxious or distressed, to perplex the mind of one by suggesting scruples or doubts. And of course, you know, even as you think about our society and the things that people are protesting about and they have raising doubts about, they have no facts. In fact, the in fact, the facts speak otherwise for what they're protesting. You know, Black Lives Matter says they're protesting police brutality. Well, the facts completely tell another story. That, you know, blacks aren't being sought out to kill by police. I mean, the facts say otherwise. But these people have been, been given these doubts and... And uh, have been given, raised, that been troubled in their minds by the things that they're being told. In Acts chapter 15, verse 24, this happened at Antioch, remember? It says, for as much as we have heard, because this is the, the uh, church at Jerusalem writing to the church at Antioch. It says, for as much as we heard that certain which out, went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So, and, and of course, in New Testament times, the, the, the thing that they were being troubled about, the Gentiles were being troubled over, was these, they call, call them Judaizers, these Jews who were traveling around following the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and others who were doing evangelistic work and started planting churches. They'd follow them around and corrupt the minds of the Gentiles by saying, oh, yeah, you need to trust Christ, but you also have to be circumcised to be saved. they're doing raising doubts and causing people to be troubled you know, this is a this is a common problem even in in uh, I remember when uh, the, the uh, Soviet Union broke up 
and the Iron Curtain, as it's called, came down, and missionaries started going into Russia. And they was said that one of the one of the problems was soon after what followed on the heels was the missionaries were the JWs and the Mormons and all the cults, corrupting the minds, feeding those that they were giving the gospel to with corruption and causing doubts and problems. This is, of course, a tactic of the devil. So without an authority, it will leave you troubled. It will also leave, leave you easily corrupted. Notice verse 7 also says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert there means to turn or corrupt. Uh, uh, and again, it results in man becoming his own authority. And this is what false religion is. It's man-ordained worship. And it goes back, starts all the way back with Genesis chapter 4 with Cain. The Bible says that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. It was the work of his own hands. It's obvious as you read the context of the whole passage there, it's obvious that he had been instructed what to bring. Abel knew what to bring. There was no question about whether Abel knew whether he should bring that, that lamb or not. He knew what to bring, and he brought it. But see, Cain's offering, it speaks of the works of his hands. It was not a substitute. It did not have to die in his place, as the lamb had to die in Abel's place. It speaks of a substitute. Cain was really saying, look, my works are good enough. I don't need a substitute. I don't need somebody to pay for my sin. I can do it myself. That was what his offering was. You see, it's all man-ordained worship. That's what the Pharisees did. In Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You make the word of God a non-effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such things like things do ye. So, you know, without an authority, it will leave you troubled, and it will leave you easily corrupted. You'll be easily led astray if you don't have an authority in your life that you follow. And this broad-mindedness, you know, there's a couple things it'll do for you. Um, number one, it makes men weak. makes men weak, so without strength, they find themselves incapable of opposing even an undisguised enemy, someone said. You know, you know, again, is this not so vividly illustrated in our world and in our nations? Many American minds are so filled with mush, they can't say the words, Islamic terrorists. They can't say it. I don't know if it's actually that they really don't believe it or they're just so politically correct they just can't bring themselves to say it. You know, they can't, they can't say that Islam is out to destroy us. That, that can't seem to register even though Islamists have said it. Duh! But, you know, there are many American pastors that will not stand and speak plainly for fear of being unpopular. They'll not speak against sodomy or transgenderism. 
Again, they're like the Pharisees. In Matthew 21, 25, and 26, Jesus asked the Pharisees, he says, the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, mm, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why do you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So they said, we cannot tell. Kind of reminds me of an interview I saw with, I don't know who the other guys were, but Joel Wolstein was on there, and they were talking about sodomy. And he just kept saying, it's not my line. In other words, he wouldn't say he was for or against it. It's not my line. Now, the New Testament Christians had, had convictions so deep they would face the lines rather than surrender their commitment to Christ. W.A. Criswell said this, quote, Then men did not make the doctrine, the doctrine made the men. You know, they believed it unto death. Secondly, it will cause you to adopt the language of what one commentator called the Christianettes. <laughs> you know, we used to have that phrase, uh, we have a sermonette for the Christianettes who smoke cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that or not, but... Anyway, <clears throat> W.A. Questrow, and again in his commentary, said this, quote, I personally have never met a liberal who is not affable, congenial. He does not believe anything in particular. Why should he object to anything? Why should he speak out against anything? His broad-mindedness includes anything and everything, but he drowns the faith in his own honeyed words, unquote. Yeah, I've heard people say, he's such a nice guy. And I've often said, but nice guys don't cut it. He's so busy being a nice guy, he won't take a stand. That's the problem. He won't tell the truth. No, he's not really a nice guy. He's a liar. He's a false prophet. What, what do people, when, when, when people talk about TV preachers, what do they almost always say they like about them? They are so positive. Yeah, I suppose if I was more positive, we'd have more people. We probably would, but some of you would leave, right? I'd hope so. But yeah, if we were more positive, we'd have more people. There'd be no question about it. I mean, other churches around here seem to get crowds. They're always so positive. They're great motivational speakers. I suppose maybe I could do that. I don't know if I could or not. I could give it a good try anyway. But uh, <laughs> I heard this, or saw, read this, where one liberal, after he resigned, a man said to him, we feel the loss and you're leaving. You know, before you came, I cared not for God, man, or the devil. But under your fine preaching, I have come to love all three. See, open-mindedness, this open-minded philosophy will leave you confused, confusing, and perverted. However, New Testament faith 
is authoritarian. It's authoritarian. It is non-compromising. It is dogmatic. It is absolute and it's final. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's what New Testament Christianity is. If it's New Testament Christianity. Now I want to look at three things here. Uh, the finality of Christ, the finality of the scriptures, and the finality of the gospel. First, the finality of Christ. Notice verses 11 and 12. Again, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, so we, we see here, first of all, the finality of Christ, you know, the finality and the dogmatic manner of our Lord. Now that strange, sounds strange to a lot of people, but it is true. Jesus never gave a series of opinions and let his hearers choose. He never sends out diametrically opposite theories and says, you choose the one which you like. He always speaks powerfully and absolutely. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, you know, he, and, he, and, and the, the, the statement that is made there at the end of that is, in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know, I like to hear a preacher who preaches with authority. He says, this is what the word of God says. Not, well, it could mean this, or it could mean this, or it could mean this. And it's kind of like, oh, you decide. In other words, it's, it's really what he's saying is, you can decide whether you want it or whether you don't want it. I call it smorgasbord preaching. You can pick and choose whatever you like. And if you like all the sugar stuff, that's what you get. But it leads you to a shallow life. Another example is in chapter 8. When he, when he healed the, 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 uh, the centurion's servant, you know, he simply spoke with authority. You know, the, the centurion understood authority. Uh, in verse 8 he says, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. So this man understood authority, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say this man, go, and he goeth. To another come, and he cometh. To my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Jesus simply spoke, and it was done. See, he spoke with authority. With authority. In Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when you know, Peter, James, and John, and, 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 they were, and they saw Elijah and Moses there speaking with the Lord, and this cloud overshadowed them, and then they, then they heard this voice. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. His words are final. His words are absolute. His words are authoritative. 
You're the one who took children in his arms and blessed them. Who said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Uh, in Matthew 23, he denounces the Pharisees of their hypocrisy, warning them of judgment to come. And the one who warns us of hell. In fact, most of what we know about hell, Jesus taught us in the Gospels. But you know, one of the greatest examples of the uncompromising Lord is the case of the rich young ruler. You know, he came running. Mark chapter 10 tells us he came running, saying, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Thou knowest the commandments, you know, love your father, mother, and your, your and, you know, and so on and so forth. And he said, All these have I done my youth up. Jesus said, One thing thou lackest, go and sell all thou hast. Come follow me. And the Bible says that he was sad at that saying. In other words, his countenance just fell. It showed on his face. And he went away sorrowful. And you know, the Bible says nothing about Jesus saying, Oh, wait a minute, wait, 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 don't go away. Come on back. Let's have a talk about this. Maybe we can, you know, we can make him soften it a little bit. You know, I know your problem is you love your riches and they're going to divide you from serving me, but, well, let's just sit down and talk about this and uh, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle ground here. No, no, no. Jesus never lessened the demand. Never compromised it. Never changed it. He let the man go. And yet, he is the tender, loving Lord who laid down his life for us. But he never lowered the standards of his appeal. So we see the finality of Christ. We see also the finality of the scriptures. In verses 8 through verse 12 of Galatians chapter 1. Verses 8 through 12 says, But though we and our angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The word accursed is anathema. Uh, and as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For I, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it by man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Of course, the, the Word of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is final. It's authoritative. It's absolute. You know, our doctrinal statement, and almost every doctrinal statement, well, many I've read, say something like this, and ours said this, says this, talking about the Scriptures, we believe in the verbal, which means every word, and plenary, at least all the words, Inspiration of the Old and New Testaments, that the Old and New Testaments are comprised of six, six books, 
and are equally inspired and without error or contradiction that they are the final authority for faith and life, inerrant, infallible, and God-breathed, and were perfectly recorded by holy men of God, that they are su the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions shall be tried. And that anyone who adds to or takes away from this complete revelation is cursed by God. See, the word of God is final. It doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And it doesn't matter whether you obey it or not. It's not going to change it. But it will change you. And it will change or affect where you're going to spend eternity. But it won't change for you. You know, Jesus made this statement over and over again. What was it, class? It is written. He made that statement often. Matthew 4, 4, when he was tempted by the devil, he would say, it is written. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I can't remember what the third one is there in Matthew chapter 4, but there was three of them. He, every time the devil tempted him, he responded, It is written. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That was the third one. In Matthew 11.10, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, For this is he of whom it is written. In Matthew 26.24, speaking about Judas, It is written of him. And in Luke 24 and verse 46, after he, when he appeared to the disciples, just before he was ascended, he said, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You know, both Old and New Testaments convey the same persuasion that the testimony, the written testimony is the final revelation from God and is binding and authoritative. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And then you come into the New Testament, 2 Peter 1, 18 and 19. This voice, remember Matthew 17? The Father said, Hear you him. Oh, they heard a voice. And Peter's talking about that voice they heard. He said, In this voice, which we heard on Matthew, in Matthew 17 on Mount Transfiguration, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. But we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Where until you do well, that you take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Go to Revelation chapter 22. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22. The last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, and the last, some of the last verses of the Bible warns us again of the authority of the word of God. Revelation 22, verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now that's some 
serious warnings there. In John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 46 through 50, John 12, 46 through 50, The Bible says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So the first time he came, he didn't come to judge, he came to save. But verse 48, he goes on and says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So the word of God, this is his spoken word. He told the disciples that the Spirit would speak of him. You know, this is inspired of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us it's inspired. Uh, uh, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But the Lord, Jesus, gave the Holy Spirit the words to give to the apostles and the writers of Scripture. They're his words. They're words from the Father. And we're going to be judged by these words, by this book. So the word of God is forever authoritarian it's forever authoritarian it's the ultimate and final authority so we see the finality of Christ the finality of the word of God we see also the finality of the gospel finality of the gospel in verses 8 and 9 of Galatians chapter 1 but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed and as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, these are some heavy words here that the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia who were turning away from the truth. You know, they were, they were, they were, they were questioning his apostolic authority. He'll address that in and of itself a little later on. We'll get to that later on. So a lot of things they're questioning here. But they're, they're even questioning the authenticity of his gospel that he preached. And he says, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. If he brings something different than what I've given to you, he's accursed. He's accursed. You often think of this verse when you drive by a, a Mormon temple and there's the angel Moroni on the top of the pinnacle you know um, he's accursed that's a false gospel you know how many how many how many ways of salvation are there in the world well you know we have the works gospel of the Catholics the Mormons the Seventh-day Adventists and the Muslims and many others we have the experience gospel of the charismatics and I'm afraid a lot of Baptists we have, uh, uh, of course, the neo-orthodox. Neo means new and modified. They, they have their feel, feeling gospel. 
Uh, in fact, one of their theologians, Frederick uh, Schleiermacher, said this, Inspiration is viewed as the original translation of Christian feeling, unquote. So I guess, I told, it's like I told the Bible class on Sunday, I, said, I guess God sealed the world and gave his only begotten son. You know. you know, what they mean by all that is that the word of God becomes inspired as you, as you, as it inspires you and relates to you and your feelings. What's wrong with that? Do feelings, are feelings absolute? Are they objective? I mean, I mean, there are some days, guys, you might feel like you love your wife, and there's some days you might feel like you don't, right? Or vice versa. Uh, now, feelings are subject to change. Again, man becomes authority. We have the lover's gospel of CCM. I was reading Ezekiel the day, and Ezekiel 33, 32 says this, Thou art unto them as a very lovely song, as one that hath a pleasant voice. You know, it makes me think of, you know, when you were courting, you, you, and, and, you know, after your first marriage, you, you, you talked to your wife with all those sweet nothings. You know, a very lovely, a love song. You know, watch most, watch, watch CCM entertainers, which is what they are, they're entertainers, and they sing like they're singing to a lover. I'm sorry, Jesus is not a lover. God's not a lover. Of course, we have many theologians, quote-unquote, saying today that all faiths lead to God. Just have faith. That's the key word, faith. Just have faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Faith in Brennan? You know, I might have some confidence in Brennan, but not for my eternal salvation, I'll guarantee you. Sorry, Brennan. Ah, uh, you know, faith in who? Faith in what? Go to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John chapter 10. Verse 1. Again, the gospel is very dogmatic. It is very narrow. Verily, verily, I say unto you, John 10, 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and robber. Drop down to verse 9. I am the door. By me. Now those two little words, by me, make it very clear there is no other way. It's exclusively through Christ. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am, I want you to take note of the I am's here. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Um, verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Drop down verse 27. 
my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then you go over to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, whither I go and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. First Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And you go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. The apostle of love. And he could also be called the apostle of truth. 1 John 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given us to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. You know, the, as we were told Sunday morning, the Muslims say that God had no Son. The Bible clearly says that God has a Son. And it's in this Son that we have life. This life is in the Son, verse 11. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, it's stated plainly, authoritatively, finally. It's simple. It's really simple. If a person is to be saved, they must be saved in Christ. There is no other there's no such thing as salvation just suited or fit for you only. No, it's the same gospel all. But it's through the same person. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the revelation of the Lord is not two-faced. It's not deceptively speculative. It is not selecting options or opinions or choosing between two theories or three theories or however many theories. It is final, it's absolute, and it's subjective. It's not changed because of how you may feel about it or what you may think. He says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, he doesn't say it once. He says it twice. Now, these words are given to us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God doesn't waste words. He does it for emphasis, to warn us, not to be allow the world to trouble us and to pervert us in other words, turn us away 
from the truth. That's what's it mean to be perverted here in verse 7. It says they pervert the gospel. They're turning you away from the truth. These Judaizers, these, these Jews that were leaving Judea and, and following Paul, just like the cults follow their missionaries, they're following Paul around saying to these new professions, oh yeah, it's good you, uh, you accepted Christ your Savior, but you also have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. No. Paul will tell us later, circumcision availeth nothing. It's just an outward thing in the flesh. It's not a faith. So though we are an angel, or any man preach any other gospel, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. There is only one gospel. There's only one Christ. And might we be faithful and hold fast to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement we find in it. Father, we thank you that we have an authoritative word, something we can look to um, for wisdom, for understanding, uh, to guide our footsteps aright. For we know that the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And we thank you for that. Thank you that we ha will have to be confused like most of the world is tonight. We can know for certain your desires for our life and know for certain where we're going to spend eternity. And we th thank you for that. And uh, Just help us to, to rest in your promises and to be faithful to keep your commandments, we pray in Jesus' name.